one. It's a lovely lift now and again to celebrate and say this is what happened. Thank you, God. One. I became really, really inspired and relaxed at the same time with the fact that all areas of my life could belong together. One. One. The One Voice Podcast, because we're all the same. I think there's a really tangible sense of unity in this episode, a solidarity that percolates gently under all three of the conversations that follow. Hello and welcome to the podcast, and I hope all is well with you. How do snowdrops, hellebores and crocuses equate to quiet, understated evangelism? Pam Kirkland unravels that very question in two extracts that you're going to hear from Coffee Time Chat, the monthly magazine she compiles with your help, of course. One Voice also covers the prayer chain. Sheila Howard joins me to talk about a chain that encompasses both the Methodist and Baptist churches. You'll be able to hear how it works and the wonders it can achieve. First, though, I was fortunate enough to meet up with a president and vice president of conference, respectively, the Reverend Graham Thompson and Anthony Boateng. Helen Cameron's manse was the venue for a pretty broad conversation around the way they both collaborate, the importance of revival, thorny questions of church buildings, and a couple of questions kindly emailed by those who listen to this podcast. In the first of what is a two-part conversation, Graham and Anthony began explaining how these visits to districts and circuits not only strengthen the bonds, but affect them on a very personal level. Every experience we have with another person, I, in fact, um, I remember a supernumerary saying to me years and years ago that every conversation you have with another person will change you, perhaps almost imperceptibly, but over time. We're all influenced by the things we see and the, hear and do. And it's been a, a wonderful experience meeting so many people across the whole connection. I tend to go back to a visit I made early on in the year when I visited the Whitechapel Mission in London. As somebody who's largely had a ministry focused on rural communities, where homelessness has been, is known about, but not to the depths that it is in the cities. It was just a mind-blowing experience to visit the Whitechapel Mission and hear about their work 365 days a year, every day dealing with hundreds of people in, in desperate need and yet treating everyone with dignity and respect and everyone is counted as a guest within the provision that they make and I found it um, a mind-blowing experience. You know, I think this, this role, I think I have to say, is an honour and a privilege and we are in a representative role. And so it's always an honour to travel across the district and to listen, to discern, and just to try to understand um, what is going on. And I think that's what we have tried to do here. Now, I think there are a number of things which, for me, has really stood out. This is a fantastic district, and it's blessed with a fantastic uh, district chair in the Reverend Helen Cameron. On Saturday, you know, I had the honor and privilege to go to the estate, New Park estate, and just to be able to witness the challenges as well as the hope that it has to offer. And just to unpack some of the challenges and the hope, we're talking about homelessness. We're talking about drugs and addiction. We are talking about disparity. Economic disparity is what we're talking about here. A divide which society constantly tried to make between the rich and the poor. And in the midst of all of that, what I see is hope. People 
working faithfully through food banks voluntarily to somehow try and contribute towards solving um, some of the issues which I've already alluded to. So that's one of them. We were at Glenfield, the opening of the 2020 project, which was a wonderful thing. You know, one of the things which I'm very, very passionate about is how we use our resources, property being one of them, and money. And that's a project which we have invested over a million into. And for me, that's a good stewardship. And that has happened under, um, you know, the district chair, Helen Cameron's um, tenure. And I think that's something that needs to be celebrated. And so the, the diversity that's also on offer is huge. And I went to the churches that I preached at yesterday, um, very mixed, Zimbabwe's, Ghanaian, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that is the directional travel that I'm really looking forward to moving forward. Let's just explore that even further. Uh, and how will those experiences you've just summarised impact your, your faith itself? That's such a good question. And I'm not quite sure where to begin the answer. But there's no doubt that, for instance, meeting uh, the guys who run the Whitechapel Mission and the faith and the, the work that they do for a £1.7 million project every year, which has to be raised you know, in order to provide the service that's given away is deeply impressive. It's recognising that as a Christian, we are never asked to serve alone. We're never asked to do everything ourselves. We're part of the body of Christ. As the scripture says, when every member pulls together, then not only is the body being faithful, but the body is fruitful for the kingdom. And so when I see uh, Christians working together in that kind of project and that kind of environment, and in many other places across the connection, we witness faithful disciples being fruitful for the kingdom. And that is deeply encouraging to anyone who witnesses these things and has to enlarge and enhance our faith. And a reminder that all we are called to do is to play the part that we've been asked to fulfill alongside others. We don't all individually have to transform the world one thing that i will take away is that god is with the marginalized as he is with everybody and in the midst of challenges there is a presence of the holy spirit and for me i think that is something i want to focus on that the challenges that we encounter does not break us but it molds us and it refines us and so for me when i'm going through challenges or if i'm feeling spiritually irritated that is a source of hope and i and i'm very thankful uh, to this district for helping me to realise that. What's the process uh, like for building up a president and vice president rapport, if you like? You, you have to do that within the space of a year. Yeah, of course. There are um, challenges in any role that you... I'm sure the role that you're in, there are challenges as well. Any role that you're in within a year, you set up your store, you set up your vision, and then as you're about to ex you know, see the fruition of it, you're exiting can be difficult, particularly someone like me who's to some extent on the margin of the church. I've never worked for the connection. Um, I work part-time and I do this part-time as well. So we're dealing with, you know, time constraints. But in the midst of that, you know, we've got a team. We do have a team. You know, my good friend Graham Thompson is, is, is a member of that team. And we work together cohesively and we support one another. You know, we've got the connectional team as well that supports us in the way that we do. But I think you know, I'm in the middle of writing my reflection to the, to the conference and to the council, rather. And these are some of the things which I hope to allude to more and give out a bit more detail. But I would like to focus on the, on the hope and the impact that we have been able to make, the message about revival, the greatest commandment, which we are seeing in operation here in this district. 
uh, grow it. So how, how do you rapidly sort of get it to speed then so that the pair of you who previously, I, I would imagine, have never met become this this force? <laughs> I like the idea, Anthony, that we're a force. <laughs> uh, part of the joy of the role is that we are designated 12 months ahead before uh, we actually start. So Anthony and I had the opportunity to communicate with, uh, with one another, despite the, some of the restrictions that were in place at the time, and begin to get to know one another and um, our particular emphases and hopes for this particular year of the presidency. And there's no doubt uh, that you're right in how you allude to things. It, it is a blind date. You don't know whom the conference is going to throw into partnership with whom. Um, so we find out and, and then the work begins. But what the church does not need is two people who are saying the same things uh, in the same way at the same time. What we need is the diversity of the church to be represented in the presidency. Um, and therefore, the fact that Anthony and I are very different people is, I think, to the benefit and to the thanks of the church so that we can serve in different ways. The other thing to remember is that the presidency is a three-year commitment. So there are six of us in the presidency. So there are two who are waiting in the wings and preparing, and there are the, the two who have just finished, who are there to support us and uh, be our safety net when perhaps we're unwell or unable to serve in two places at the same time. So as Anthony says, we have a good team within the presidency and a good support staff as well, which makes the opportunities that this year holds, they are fulfilled and they're exciting. I mean, have you both found that effectively you've this this link has, it means that you've taken on each other's interests and causes maybe if your eyes been open to the things that graham's been passionate about and, and vice versa maybe <laughs> the greatest commandment we both brought into it so that is a joint a vision that we both have as an overarching theme so immediately we're already working together on the same vision now the idea of love who can fight love and we've been trying to exemplify love in all of our engagements, even when we frustrate each other sometimes a little bit. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, Graham has been doing likewise. We're a rival. So, we, you know, we just try to move the spirit. Every district, you you know, you go to, there are different issues which you have to respond to. And one can't be too fixated on one thing. You have to discern what is at bay, and then you have to respond accordingly, whether it's following love or following revival or the greatest commandment. I think the the thing about the kind of evolving relationship is that we recognize the similarities in each other and the differences, and uh, we've learnt to rub along together in a jocular way. I say to Anthony, every time I speak, and then you follow me, you always say, I agree with Graham. <laughs> and then Anthony will say something about me, you know, just pointing out who we are. And it's, you know, it's great to rub the corners off each other in that kind of way. But we did choose the greatest commandment as the presidential theme for this year. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind and your soul and your neighbor as yourself. And each of us is taking it from a, a particular a viewpoint. But you're absolutely right. What Anthony has to say about uh, the need for revival in the life of the church and the place of the marginalized and the poorest is having an effect on the church and is having an effect on me. And I hope and pray that what I have to say about the quality of our worship and how we engage with our neighbors 
is also having having its effect, but not just on each other, but on the whole church. When the opportunities present themselves for us to develop the theme with others, then we take them because everybody brings something and helps it to evolve and help it to become more rounded and more important to the life of the church. So it's very exciting. We'll return to the president and vice president before too long when Anthony, who is very well placed, I have to say, to speak about church buildings, their adaption and sometimes disposal of those buildings, tackles the question of future-proofing those church assets. Now, I'm going to let Pam pick up a very different thread now. It's time for some coffee time chat. The Tots and Carers group goes from strength to strength. Here's Carol Baldwin's update. I'm very pleased to report this venture seems to be going well so far. We have a core of children now who seem to come regularly. And we've had several new children last week and this week who seem to have been settled and happy in the group. We started in the primary room, but outgrew this space quite quickly. So now we are in the large hall, which accommodates us well. On average, there are 18 to 20 children with between 11 and 14 carers. We've had great support from church members and have a good number of volunteers to run the group and do setting up and snack time and other necessary jobs. And we're very grateful for this. We've done many activities including dough and sticking, pasta in the play kitchen. And this week, we had a huge pile of boxes, thanks to Steve Robbins, which proved very popular. The children love snack time and can demolish a plate of toast in no time and would eat strawberries by the turn if allowed. We're planning to use the outdoor space after Easter when it is warmer. We end our morning with rhyme time sitting in a circle on the blankets and I can honestly say I learn a new verse or song every week. What a wealth of knowledge our experienced early years workers have between them. Our buggy walk to Thornton Park at half term was very popular with 22 children. We enjoyed ball games on the sunken lawn, a picnic of cakes and biscuits kindly donated by church members and then some playtime on the apparatus. It was lovely to see the older ones helping and sharing with the younger ones. Also, the sun shone. So, overall, I think Monday mornings are turning out to be quite a lot of fun, if a bit sticky and noisy sometimes. And that's from Carol Baldwin. Sheila Howard needs your help to make the Easter garden as beautiful as it was last year. Hi everyone, Sheila here. Hope you're all looking forward to spring. I certainly am. We are in the Lent season now, which drew my mind to Easter and the Easter garden that overlooks Waitrose Car Park. If you're unacquainted with it, look for a little garden with a huge cross on the way out of the car park. Lois has already done an amazing job clearing the planting area. Viola has donated hellebores crocuses and snowdrops. Thank you, Viola. I spotted Lois planting these. The garden gnomes, that's Carol and Nigel Baldwin, Lois Leeson and Dave and I, are all hoping to further enhance the garden this week with more compost and planting. We will also put up the other two crosses and the Easter garden sign. 
On Easter morning, Dave and I will place flowers on the big cross and put up the sign, He is Risen. We would like to request donations, either financial, flowering bulbs, spring plants or compost. You can see any of us gnomes with your donations. That's Lois, Carol and Nigel, Sheila and Dave. Whenever we work on this little garden, we are touched by the number of passers-by of all ages who comment and engage in conversation with us. We are often thanked and people tell us how much it is appreciated. It is evangelism, simple and understated. And Pam has asked me to add, there are still some places available for the Tiny Tots and Carers group, kingsthorpemethodist.org.uk is a very good place to pick up the relevant information for that, kingsthorpemethodist.org.uk. Prayer chains, then. What are they? How do they function? And what positivity have they brought? Sheila Howard is here shortly to discuss just that. You're with The One Voice Podcast. Let's get back to the Reverend Graham Thompson and Anthony Boteng and put forward the questions you've been asking. Stories, community, and what brings us together. This is One Voice. We have two questions to to end with in a moment from local members of, of the Methodist Church. Just before then, I just want to ask you about something on the uh, uh, blog on methodist.org.uk. New possibilities. Um, you pick over the challenge of buildings in the church, something that has been a, a, a challenge, a question locally here in Northamptonshire as well. Reading the blog, I sense some disappointment that people haven't always kind of grasped the nettle when it comes to some of the options, perhaps altering spaces, collaborating more. As I said, I'm very passionate about what we use, um, how we use our assets. And one has to also recognize that it's a challenging one. So I can't for one second pretend that I hold all the good ideas of how we should best use it, because that would be totally the wrong thing to do. I do recognize that some ministers, faithful ministers, have gone into ministry to do ministry. And they have the pain of now seeing, almost seeing themselves to become property managers. And that's not what they're in the ministry for. So I've said it time without number that we have to release our ministers to be ministers to do the pastoral work. Um, but we also have to recognize that our buildings are in a difficult place. I'll give you an example. I was in a, one of the districts, which I will not mention the name, where they sold their building, making nearly around 800,000 with the hope of using it for mission. And then I asked them, what's the plan? Oh, you've got loads of money in the bank now. We sold one of our mans. We made around 300,000. And this is a city center church. And I said, okay, so what are you going to do? I pressed them further on it. They said, well, we're we going to um, lease our building. And I said, how much is it going to cost you? Oh, around thirty to 40000 a year. And I said, what about the staff you, which you're going to employ? Oh, around similar, maybe similar amount. But I said, how, much, how long do you think that will take before you burn through all that money? And this, these are some of the things we're alluding to. You know, I think in that situation, for me personally, it probably would have been best um, somehow redeveloping some part of that building in partnership with someone, maybe selling parts of it and then using some of the money to redevelop that and then using that place for mission and as well as for revival and somehow finding ways to help that church to grow. So I think it's not about one, you know, it doesn't, the solution doesn't fit everybody. But I think for me, it's about recognizing that we can't have the mindset of if we don't have people coming to the church, 
then we get rid of it. By getting rid of it, we mean we sell, we sell our assets. Sometimes it means buying a smaller building. Sometimes it means going into partnership. Sometimes it means leasing the building rather than selling the freehold. Because then at least you still keep hold of the property in the long term. With the hope that, and I'm really hoping that we are going to experience revival. And when we do, we're going to need these properties back. So I think it's really about having a long-term vision and not just having a, a quick solution, get rid of it, because it makes our, our work easier. And I think that the connection has got a role to play. I think the connection needs to somehow get their act together and maybe have a centralized team. Maybe they already do it and I don't know about it to manage some of our assets rather than leaving it to people who are willing to ministry to do ministerial work and then found themselves managing properties. And it's not their business to be doing that. Phil asks, you interact with people who are at a high level of leadership. It says you help to plan at a high level. And so you probably get to see things that many church leaders can't see. So could I please ask, what do you see as the biggest challenges facing church leaders over, say, five years? The biggest challenges are going to be the way in which the Christian faith is uh, diminishing in these nations, uh, unless the revival that we continue to pray for and Alice and Anthony talks about comes, then we are going to be dealing with decline and we need to do that in an effective way. We also need to make sure that the Christian voice is heard in, in the most effective and prophetic ways possible. And we need to try to hold on to some of the privileges, and I use that word carefully, that have been ascribed and granted to the Christian faith and Christian leaders in these nations over recent times so that we can continue to have a voice and a place at the table. Opportunities granted to the presidency are fairly limited because most people know that we're only here for a year. But we do have opportunities to rub shoulders with other church leaders. And uh, I personally believe that the future of Christianity in these nations needs the ecumenical movement to come to the fore and for us to play our part together. So we've had opportunities to engage with uh, sisters and brothers in the Anglican Communion and uh, alongside other free churches. And we have warm relationships already, largely through encounters we've had in the last nine months with a number of church leaders, which I hope we will be able to continue with and help to develop on behalf of the Methodist Church beyond this, this time. It's about who you know as well as what you know, and uh, making the most of the opportunities that come when, when they present themselves. This is why I say, I agree with Graham. <laughs> but on a serious note, if I can add anything further to what Graham has already said, which I think he answered it perfectly, I think it's maintaining the centrality of the gospel, the integrity of it, and the spirituality, and trying to ensure that you know the gospel remains relevant, and the church remains relevant in our current age. Um, and also um, for the general public to trust our leaders more, the church leaders more, because we know that the church is constantly under attack at the moment through various different um, strands. So somehow I think we have got to find a way to bring unity back to the church. Graham alluded to our ecumenical work. That's very, very important. I've always said time with our number that I think it's about ensuring that the Holy Spirit is present in everything that we do. And I think the top leadership of our church has got to ensure that that is very, very much at the forefront of everything, being guided by the Holy Spirit and genuinely really um, going through a serious discernment and ensuring that we all revive because we need to be revived in order to, to lead a church otherwise. 
where you could be running on empty um, an empty tank, and then that doesn't help anyone. Donald would, would like to ask for clarification of the Methodist Church attitude too, and I'll, I'll put this at the top, the authority of Scripture. The Methodist Church has always held very strongly to the authority of Scripture. We use something in our theological thinking called uh, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, in which Scripture is central. But we add to our understanding of Scripture, our understanding of experience, reasoning, and tradition. Thank you. I suddenly <laughs> forgot what the fourth one was. That's why you need a partner. <laughs> so Scripture, tradition, reasoning, and experience. And what we see over the decades and the centuries uh, ever since uh, Scripture was set in the way the canon of the, the Scriptures were uh, in the fourth century, we see the way in which God has enabled God's people to interpret the Scriptures in each generation in ways that are effective for the mission of the church at that time in that place. Anthony is absolutely right in the answer to his previous question to remind us that the gospel is central, the gospel of God's saving love revealed in Christ who came among us, uh, lived and taught the things of God, died as our Savior on the cross and rose again to open the kingdom of heaven to all believers. Those things are central and that will never change. The way in which those who live that life of Christ develop their relationship with God and their relationships with one another will always be a secondary thing and uh, we need to make the gospel central and the way we live out the gospel as allow that to be interpreted within the current age and context. The scriptures will always guide us and we must always go back to them. We also have to face and acknowledge the fact that within the scriptures there are contradictions and we need to learn how to live with those as well. Thank you, Graham. Um, and finally, I will take, and I hope Donald won't object, if I take almost like the last three parts to his, his question concerning the Methodist Church's attitude to these things and put them into one because they are related. So he asks about same-sex relationships, cohabitation by married couples, and what if, he says, those or what about those who cannot in good conscience accept those moves or attitudes and I, I know there clearly have been and will continue to be difficult conversations I suppose around this what, what approach do you take to that Graham? When the Methodist Conference accepted the resolutions within the God in Love Unites Us report in 2021 the conference made it very clear that we were accepting two understandings of marriage and therefore what Dold or others may want to call the traditional view is perfectly acceptable and is in line with Methodist teaching and thinking. What has changed uh, over the last few years after consultation, consideration, prayer and seeking the Holy Spirit's and the guidance that the Spirit grants is around the primacy of love and where love is seen whether the restrictions that have traditionally been placed on loving relationships uh, should continue to be in place as far as the life of the church is concerned. And I suppose the counter to that is that, you know, even within traditional, traditional or traditionally accepted relationships, people can be abusive and people can fall out of love. And uh, sometimes some of the strictures we place on one another mean that people have lived in ways that are far from loving. Therefore, to acknowledge lifelong loving commitments is what I think uh, the scriptures point us to. 
uh, ways that are not abusive, ways that are inclusive of all and difference, is also to point to primary sources within the scriptures. I'm trying to offer you a balanced answer without revealing my own <laughs> preferences, because I recognize that, you know, as the person who's currently the president of the conference, I have to hold the views of the conference. And and that's also an interesting uh, place to, in which to find ourselves as well. Lovely to meet you both. Uh, safe onward travel, and thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. That was great. My thanks to the President and Vice President of Conference, Reverend Graham Thompson and Anthony Boateng, who have an excellent rapport and have clearly gleaned so much from their visit to Northamptonshire. And thanks too to Helen Cameron and Matt Forsyth for helping to arrange that recording. Our third and final guest is someone who's been part of all sorts of essential and effective work out of Kingsthorpe Methodist Church. Here to chat through the prayer chain is Sheila Howard. Well, the prayer chain is open to anyone that wishes to pray for someone or some situation. The chain itself is a group of people that believe in the power of prayer as a, a group of people all praying about the same things, not necessarily at the same time, because, um, you know, we all have different times that are convenient for us. Uh, so anyone can access it, uh, make a prayer request. And where do you figure in this? What's what's your role? Uh, well, I'm always very keen to make it clear that we're not a leader with people that have joined. It's not like that. It's a bit like, um, if you understand a round robin of people, where we are all equal on the chain, this sort of circle of people, we, we, we're we all equal. I suppose my role originally, were, and it, it, this prayer chain has been in operation for many, many years, and I suppose I was just one of the founder people of it, along with some people may remember Margaret Landman, Norma, uh, of course Winnie is still on the prayer chain, um, and very... Um, dear Brenda Williams. So, you know, I was sort of one of the founder people that started it up years and years ago, and I can't remember exactly when. This is something as well that transcends different churches, isn't it? It's not just the Methodist Church, because you've got the Baptist Church with you as well. Yes, and because the Methodists and Baptists in Kingsville are going forward together, it's sort of highlighted that we take a sort of fresh look at a fresh look at this at this prayer chain and so we we've got new recruits we've got two baptists now and there'll be more hopefully in the future so no it isn't just methodists methodists and baptism and does that bring a different set or an extra set of considerations because it isn't just one particular church or one way of doing things well it, do, it no not because they're baptist it's nothing to do with denomination I think anybody that comes afresh to the prayer chain, we all have this ethos, uh, particularly of confidentiality. And it's like you join any new thing, new venture, new group, whatever it is, you sort of want to know the ethos and how it works. And so, but I don't think that affects whether we're Baptist or Methodist. We all need to refresh ourselves every now and again. For example, 
confidentiality is key. Uh, the person who's request, made a prayer request needs to know that it won't go anywhere beyond the confines of the prayer chain, including not to any other part of prayer ministry. We need to have the permission of the person who's requested prayer. Uh, would you like us to give your name or just your Christian name? No name at all. Or it might not be about a person. It might be a situation. So we can sort of approach this in many different ways. Uh, if they don't wish to be known, that's absolutely fine because we believe that God, God knows, of course, exactly who they are and what their needs are. So we don't have to have a name. Sometimes people would like you to put their name. So we can either name them, not name them. Uh, if it's a situation that's different again, for example, it could be about you praying. But confidentiality is key. Obviously, historically, churches started their chains uh, with phone calls. I assume we've moved beyond that with, with technology and, and what, what part does technology now play with, with something like a, a chain? Yes, we have, we started originally by whoever was given a prayer request, they would phone the next person on the chain and that person would phone their next person on the chain and so on. Then we had a bit of a transition where uh, we would have some people who still didn't do email and that was fine, but some of us did. And so we'd have a bit of a transition time where there were people who would be emailing the others and then we'd have an arrangement whereby some people who weren't on email would still get a phone call. Um, and now, uh, yes, we're in a situation where everyone is uh, is emailing. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, Sheila. The power of prayer. Can you tell us of an instance where somebody has said to you they felt something tangible that's been an outcome because of being part of a prayer chain? or a situation maybe that's improved or been enhanced? Yes, I have been told about people who just have known, and I can include me in this, when we have just known that we are being prayed for, it could be a feeling of peace uh, where maybe we have been anxious, or it could be just this feeling of being carried through a difficult time. But yeah, I have had instances of, People telling, not just me, but people telling me that they've felt that profound sense that they're being prayed for and what it, how it felt to them and what it meant to them. And is it something, the chain that is, that you can, is it a movable feast? Is it so you can expand it over time, more people can join and perhaps some people dip out sometimes and how, how does that work? Yes. It, at one time, we had a lot of people on the prayer chain and, we, it, and it, it got a bit difficult Um just practically so we were two prayer chains and that was quite complicated actually it turned out because then you've got to make sure you've got the right communication across two prayer chains so that yes but people can dip out if they if they well, I don't think anybody ever nobody ever has in my memory but if they wish to of course they, they're not locked in for life but yes we we haven't had that happen but people pass away and we lose them through through that way of course which is very very sad we we miss them i found a, a quote about prayer chains that said 
when we see answers to prayer, the prayer chain then becomes a praise chain, and that is a beautiful thing to see. Is that one of the key aims, do you think, Sheila, that prayer becomes so effective that it then elevates it beyond just a, a prayer chain? I love to see and do is when we have people letting us know about celebration. Uh, it could be that they've asked for prayer for a situation or a person, and then they they get back in touch and they say this has happened and it's a real celebration and um, it's really good to see that circulated on the chain. Well, we all know what it's like at the minute when you put the news on. You just, you, you know it lifts all of us when we say well, and we know we know prayer works. We know prayer works. Otherwise, we wouldn't be on this prayer chain. But. You do need that lift. It's a lovely lift now and again to celebrate and say, this is what happened. Thank you, God. Uh, if you're happy to give it, is there a point of contact for anybody that wants to be a part of it? Yes, we've been thinking about this because um, we need to make this more accessible to more people. So those that might not just be sort of in the know about the prayer chain. So I've been considering uh, talking to well, Phil, about the um, Kingsthorpe website and also putting it uh, out there. Not give everybody's contact details, but I'm quite happy to give mine if anybody wanted to request prayer. So, yes, we've that's been a big consideration lately because we're thinking, hang on, you know, if you weren't already involved with the church or you don't go back historically with, uh, with the prayer chain, you don't know about it, how would you find out? And so that's something that's ongoing. Well, you can certainly say that's been a busy and hopefully fulfilling podcast. I'm very grateful to all my guests and to you for listening. Until next time, take care. The Methodist Church in Northamptonshire. This is One Voice.